0: To the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So, we're going to be continuing this week this study we've been doing on sort of understanding God's will because. We have a tendency as human beings, and particularly even as followers of God, to think that God has this like, secret plan, secret way of letting us know about these big things that exist in our life, these big questions that we have who should we marry? Should I be in a relationship with this person? Should I take this job? Should I leave this job? Should I move to this area? Should I buy this house? All these big questions that weigh on us. And, you know, sometimes we pick up our Bible and we're like looking between the pages, trying to find the secret answer to what we're looking for. And what we've been doing in this series is say, hey, there's some some real things that God does point us to in his word that are going to give you direction as you face those big circumstances in life. And Um, This week, we're going to be specifically looking at this idea of holiness in understanding God's will. And I have to say, before I start, if you ever want something that makes you recognize how broken and messed up uh, you really are as an individual, I certainly felt it this week, is do a little bit of a study of the word holiness in Scripture. Because you uh, have to be cognizant of the fact that you don't measure up uh, to understanding um, who God is. You know, thinking about this question of understanding God's will, I remember I worked at this uh, Christian college, and I was working in college admissions, which is where new students that are interested in the college sort of enter through that process. And I remember so many times I'd be, I'd do a tour, I'd be sitting down meeting with a student at the end of that tour, and they would say, "Oh, I don't even know if it's, you know, God's will if I come here to college." I'd be like, "Dude, you haven't applied yet." You're asking the wrong question. How do you know if we're even going to accept you? You know, apply, get accepted, make sure you can afford it. Then you can be asking yourself about the question of whether it's God's will or not for you to go here. But I think that's a very, you know, uh, very uh, uh, typical that we tend to have these big questions about whether something is God's will or not. So I want to sort of step back and sort of understand something. So the moment that we are saved, and let me just explain what that means, So uh, God has made us as human beings to be in relationship with him in the the sinful parts of who we are, the bad parts of who we are, the fact that we have a sin nature and we're incapable of avoiding doing bad things, um, that prevents us from being in a relationship with God. God is perfect, he's holy, he can't have sin in his presence. So the only way that our relationship with God can be restored is if God does something that pays the consequence, that covers the cost of these bad things that we do, the sin that we have. And God did that through the gift of Christ. He sent his son to earth. Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. And at the end of his life, as he hung on the cross, all of the sins of the world, from all of history in the past, the sins that are going on now, the sins that will take place in the future, were all poured out on him on that cross, and he paid the price for those sins. And when we accept what he has done, when we say, God, I want my relationship with you to be restored through what Christ has done, the fact that Christ has paid the price, I recognize that when we do that, our relationship with God is restored. And at the moment that that happens, God puts his Holy Spirit inside us. And the, that role of that Holy Spirit is to make us more and more like Jesus And the big fancy theological term for that is called sanctification. So God puts his Holy Spirit inside us that we would be sanctified, that we'd become more and more like Christ. And this is a process that lasts a lifetime. It doesn't happen right away. Um, that, uh, That Holy Spirit works in us and we become more, and the goal is that we become more and more like him. So when you start to think about that, there's a little bit of a tendency, especially if you're like me and you're sort of a hard worker and I'll you know, i, I I'll work hard at whatever this is. This is what the goal is and I'm gonna do it. There's a little bit of a tendency for it. Well, if, my, if I have to be you know, holy or I have to be coming more and more like Jesus, I'm just gonna try harder and that's gonna happen, right? And it reminds me a little bit um, of uh, if the last time that I spoke, I shared this story about what motivates us to do that. And I shared the fact that when my wife and I were first married, it was the early 90s, and we were both going to be working outside the home. And so, you know, we had this sort of a amazing conversation together that we were going to split our household chores 50 50. This was going to be a revolutionary idea. Those of you that are younger wouldn't get this, but, you know, there was a time men didn't used to do any work in the house. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we had this idea that we were going to do it. And I remember those first few years of marriage. I was so fixated on whether my wife was doing the 50% that she said she was going to do. I wasn't terribly worried about whether I did what I was supposed to do, but I was very worried about whether she did what she was supposed to do. It was interesting. I don't know when it really happened, but here we are, 27 years later, and it's a very different perspective. My love for my wife has grown tremendously. Her love for me has grown tremendously as well. and so. I am no longer fixated on whether I'm doing the 50%, she's no longer fixated on it. We are totally focused on tripping over each other, doing good things for one another. It just completely changes my perspective. I respond to her love for me by looking to, do, to show my love for her with the good things that I'm going to do around our house and for her and so on. She does the same thing. She responds to my love for her by trying to do things that she knows that I would want as well. And so there's a sense of tripping over each other, literally, with trying to take care of the other person. No longer are we what we were when we were first married. And I think that's a picture, a little bit, of how we respond to God. I don't look to do good things for God to earn his favor. I don't look to do uh, good things for God because it's gonna make me look better or somehow that I'm gonna be a better person and he's gonna like me more. I respond to God's love for me, the demonstration that he's given through the gift of his son, and my deep love for him by looking to do good things for him. That's the motivation that motivates me towards holiness. It's the motivation that motivates me for becoming more and more of who Jesus wants me to be. So if we're gonna talk about holiness today, we have to understand a little bit more of what is it? What does it mean to be holy? In the word holy, uh, the definition of it in the original language just simply means to be set apart. And it's this idea of being set apart for, uh, of something that's particularly valuable. So you might have something valuable in your home and you set it in a special spot, right? Uh, the idea of being set apart, worthy of honor or being worthy of worship. And I was thinking a little bit, just in context for some of you in this congregation, so if I had two baseball jerseys, one was for the Dodgers and the other for the Red Sox, like if I had like tasks to do in the yard where it didn't really matter what I was wearing, I'd put my Dodgers jersey on, I'd be shoveling manure or whatever else that I had, right? <laughs> but my Red Sox jersey, I, that, is, that, that would be set aside for really important things, you know, like going to a game or those uh, aspects, so... That's a little bit of what it means uh, for holiness. I know many of you will resonate with that. <laughs> Actually, this year is a bad year to be a Red Sox fan and a very good year to be a Dodgers fan. I have to admit. So, um, so we're going to turn in our Bibles and just understand a little bit of what God has to say on this topic. We're going to be looking at First Peter chapter one, and uh, we're going to read through verses thirteen through twenty-two. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 22 says this, "'Therefore, preparing your minds for action "'and being sober-minded, set your hope fully "'on the grace that will be brought to you "'at the revelation of Jesus Christ. "'As obedient children, do not be conformed "'to the passions of your former ignorance, "'but as he who called you as holy, "'you also be holy in all your conduct. "'Since it is written, "'You shall be holy, for I am holy.'" who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, said that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Let's break down that passage a little bit, and then we're going to make some application as we understand uh, Jesus and how uh, he exhibited holiness Starting in verse 13, though, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. That expression, preparing your minds for action, to the audience of that day. Uh, had a very specific picture for them. So they would have been wearing robes, and when they went to run or they went to go into battle, they would actually take the back edge of their robe and tuck it into their belt, and it created a pair of shorts. And so this was like a picture for them that when they were getting ready to do something that was serious, when they were getting ready to Uh, run or getting ready to go into battle, this would have been what they would have done to demonstrate, not to demonstrate, but also to be ready for action. So there's this picture right away that says, prepare your minds for action. Be ready with your minds. Be doing what you need to do to be ready. It says being sober-minded. That means it's being serious, taking something seriously Set your hope fully on the grace, the grace is this unmerited favor, what we receive from God, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when we come to understand Jesus for who Jesus really is. Verse 14 says, um, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Conformed is be the idea of being lined up with it. And it's talking about our lives before we have a relationship with God. And they're oftentimes characterized uh, by passions that are, uh, are what the world has and shouldn't be what we have as believers in God. And I was thinking about this as a lot of... Um, a lot of what we deal with in life is how to manage or control or do away with those passions that exist in my life. If I have a passion for food but don't manage it well, I become very heavy. If I have a um, uh, you know a passion that is you know where I have a struggle perhaps with something because I get all you know upset about it. If I don't manage that well, I end up being in a fight about it or I end up saying things that I shouldn't say. What was really interesting to me is I did this study, I went through the entire New Testament looking at every time holiness or holy is used. And in the majority of cases, it specifically was challenging us to step away from sexual misconduct. And that's a challenge in the world we live in today. We live in an oversexed society Uh, Everything that you, you know, see in terms of movies, TV, listen to in terms of music that's dominant in our culture today, um, really takes us in a very different direction from God's expectation. Just to be really clear, in Scripture, God's expectation is that sexual activity be limited to within the confines of marriage. And that's God's standard, and it's over and over again in Scripture, and I know it runs counter to what we see and hear in our culture today. And that's a challenge for us as Christians to live in a countercultural uh, kind of way. Um, verse 15 it says but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct this is establishing jesus christ as our model for holiness it says as he is holy we are to be holy as well And we're going to come back to that because understanding that is going to help us unpack what it really means uh, to be holy and to be becoming more and more like christ uh, verse 16, he quotes from the Old Testament, you shall be holy for I am holy, quoting what God said to the people of Israel. And then verse 17, you have, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I love that, call on him as father. It's this reminder of our position as adopted children of God. Uh, this verse is written then to believers and it talks about him judging us you know, what does that mean? It's not to determine if we're gonna spend eternity with him. It's not to determine if we're, you know, good so that we deserve more of his love. That's not what it's referring to at all. I really believe it's looking at this idea of, of determining what our motives, what's motivating us to do good works. And it describes him as as or describes us as says, you know, conduct yourselves with fear. It's not talking about this, oh, we should go through life with this trepidation that somehow we're displeasing God in what we do. It's this idea of having a reverential awe. I recognize God for who he is, and because I recognize him as a holy, awesome, deserving of worship God, then that ought to impact how I live my life. And he uses uh, this little term, the time of your exile. And, you know, what in the world does that mean? All it's referring to is, is our time here on earth. It's this reminder that our uh, God made us to be in relationship with him and that relationship is to be here for eternity. So our time on earth is a relatively short time and so the author uses this term, the time of your exile. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. I love that word "ransomed." right? When you think about a story of, of somebody that's kidnapped or taken captive, and somebody comes along, somebody else comes along and says, I'm going to pay the ransom that would allow this person to be freed. That's exactly what God does with us. Scripture says that we were slaves to our sin, we were caught in our sins, there was nothing that we could do to get out of that situation that we were in. We were uh, captives in that situation. And God comes along and he pays the ransom in order for us to be freed. He, he gives his son and that gift of his son is that ransom that allowed us to be free from that, that slavery to sin that we had and be brought into relationship with him. And you see that in verse 19, the source of it, it says, but the precious blood of Christ. That's the price, that's the ransom that was paid on our behalf. And then he says, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And again, Peter's writing to a Jewish audience For them, they understood what this picture was. God's requirement in the Old Testament was that the uh, Jewish, the children of Israel, the Jewish individuals were required to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. And in that process, God said, I will use that blood of the lamb to be the basis for the forgiveness of sins in your life. And, um, but he's describing here is the fact that Jesus Christ becomes that ultimate lamb of God. And uh, it's ultimate lamb of God because he only needed to be sacrificed once, and it was a once and for all sacrifice on our behalf. Whereas for the Israelite people, every single year or even more, they offered a lamb uh, that was without blemish, without spot. That meant that it was a perfect lamb, and that's the real picture of Christ as the ultimate perfect lamb of God who was sacrificed once and for all on our behalf. Jumping down to verses 20 and 21, it says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So Christ's purpose in coming to earth was to bring us to repentance, to a relationship with God. And God raised him from the dead. So after he died on the cross, God raised him from the dead as a demonstration of his victory, of God's victory over sin and uh, its consequence, namely death. And so when that, when that verse 21 finishes with that expression, your faith and hope are in God, it's, it's a faith that's a reasonable faith based on what God has already done in the past, And it's an expectant hope. And hope is what keeps us alive in the midst of a broken, fallen world, the difficult situations that we deal with. So what this is saying is that what God has done for Christ, uh, that through what God has done for Christ, we can have faith and hope ourselves. Our future is secured. And then I love how this section finishes in verse 22 because it really reminds me so much of what Jason shared last week. And what was shared last week was this idea that a big way that we know the will of God for us is that we follow as two basic commandments. Love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Our love for God is exhibited through our love for our, our neighbors, our love for uh, those that are around us. And verse 22 is a great reminder of that. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So just a great reminder of God's expectations for us. So now that we've looked at that passage, let's go back and ask the question, if we are to be like Christ, if the whole process of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus, is that our lives become marked by becoming more characteristic of who he is, then how do I do do that? What does that mean? What is is Christ-like in terms of this whole area of holiness? And I want to Draw out just four aspects of being like Jesus that we can see that we should be mimicking or living out in our own lives as we seek to be holy as He is holy. So, first of all, Jesus Christ was set apart from self. He had a life marked by humility. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And in that passage, it describes the fact that it says Jesus did not count equality with God something this is when he's in heaven before he comes to earth he did not count equality with god something to be grasped or held onto, right something that i'm going to stay in this position but it says instead he emptied himself he gave up parts of who he was in order to come to live here on earth and in doing that he takes on the body of a human being he becomes a human being so he experiences the same things we experience he's hungry He's thirsty, he experiences human emotions, he becomes tired, so all of these things he didn't experience where he was before, he empties himself, gives that up, becomes a human being, and then more than anything else, he puts himself into this broken, messed up, fallen world. Here he is, the sinless God of the universe, and he has to be surrounded by us in our pettiness, in our brokenness, the things that we do that are wrong, sinful, and so on, and yet, God is, Christ was willing to do that because he um, was set apart from self. He, his holiness uh, was marked by, his life was marked by a kind of humility that was a demonstration uh, of, of one of the aspects of what it meant to be holy. And I was thinking about that for us as well. How often in our lives we are so unwilling to be set apart from self. We are consumed with self. Uh, the messages of our culture continue to cement that in our minds. It's about you, you know. Do you live you? Be you, you know, uh, and be the best version of you, which is probably maybe the highest aspiration that we can have. But what God's model for us is that we are not consumed by our own pride and the pride of who we are, but that our lives are marked uh, by humility. And part of that is just recognizing that we're broken. Messed up individuals desperately in need of a Savior. And that's the only way that our relationship with God uh, can be what it's designed to be. So, the first aspect of being like Jesus is being set apart from self and having a life marked by humility. Secondly, um, Jesus Christ was set apart to serve and had a life marked by service to others. We see this in, in Matthew 20 28, and I think the verse will come up here. It says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you study the New Testament, when you study the Gospels, you're struck by the fact that Jesus Christ gave him himself and gave him himself so completely that at times he as a human being was exhausted and pulled away from people to have quiet time with God, to restore, to recharge, uh, because he had so given himself uh, to others, and we see that from everything—from helping his father, uh, his earthly father Joseph—in terms of working in carpentry, to healing people, to pouring his life into the lives of his disciples, over and over again, we see Christ's life as being set apart to serve, and that he was his life was marked by this service to others. And again, you know, think about our lives. You know, the hours that we spend with uh, video games or in front of the TV or uh, consumed by self in some other kind of way. Um, and we, got, we have to be challenged by this model that Christ gives. How do I live this out? How do I seek to be, to serve others? And in, 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 um, how, how do I seek to be like Christ and have my life be set apart to serve? Third way that we see or that we want to be like Jesus in this area of holiness is that he was set apart from the world and he had a life that was marked by obedience to God. And this is challenging. Uh, just a couple of verses here I'll read and then we'll explain it. Hebrews 5.8 and Luke 22.42. Luke 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Uh, Luke 22.42 uh, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This second verse that's up there, this passage in Luke is takes place when Jesus Christ is in the garden. He knows what his fate will be. He's uh, nearing the point where he will be crucified. And he's praying desperately to God because in all of who he was, he did not want this consequence. The godly part of who we are did not want it because he knew he was gonna have the sins of the world poured out on him. The earthly part of who he was, Uh, did not want to suffer this humiliating, difficult, painful death. And yet, in his prayer, he marks the kind of life that we should have as well. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So our tendency, our our challenge um, is is that we struggle. If we don't think about uh, living this out in this aspect of holiness, our tendency is to make decisions based on the way our families have always done things in the past or to be drawn to how the world tends to do things. So without thinking about how do I approach this situation, this question that I have with a question of how would Christ handle it from a perspective of holiness, our tendency will be to go in the direction that our families, the models that we have in the past, or the, uh, the way that the world is telling us to be. But God's standard, what Christ did, is he was set apart from the world and that his life was characterized by obedience to God. There's a lot of things in Scripture that are very clear where God has made his perspective on a topic clear. And our role is to, to jump in there and discover that and apply it in our own lives. And the fourth thing, fourth way of being like Jesus, of becoming holy as he is holy is that Jesus Christ was set apart by God's power and he had a life marked by being a conduit uh, of God's power. Just four, four verses that I wanted to look at in this area. Um, one's in John chapter 10, uh, verses 38 and 39. He says, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand. So yes, picture that Christ did these works that were God's work. Uh, Matthew 8, 27. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the final verse related to the, the passage where uh, Jesus was with the disciples and he calms the storm. And uh, there's this incredible storm on the Sea of Galilee and they thought they were going to die. Jesus, they wake Jesus, Jesus calms the storm. This is their comment about it. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And then luke five seventeen on one of those days as he was teaching pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of galilee and judea and from jerusalem and the power of the lord was with him to heal um i don't fully understand this in terms of how do we become a conduit for god's power but i can tell you what i've seen here even in our church uh, and in my own life and as a follower of God, there have been times where we've had uh, people that were ill that we prayed over and we saw a miracle of God and that that person was healed. Does it happen every time? Does it happen in the same way, no, uh, but there's been times in my own life where I've seen God work in ways that were completely unexplainable from an earthly perspective. And, um, and I do think that those are the times where it's a picture of what it means to be a conduit for God's power. Uh, God, and that was a mark of what Christ's life was like. So there's these four ways of being like Jesus, of being holy as Jesus is holy. Holy, uh, being set apart from self, a life marked by humility holy in that he was set apart to serve and had a life marked by service to others. Uh, three, that he was holy in that he was set apart from the world and had a life marked by obedience to God. And four, that he was set apart by God's power and he had a life marked by being a conduit for God's power. Before we draw like our real conclusions from this message in terms of how do I apply this to understanding God's will, I want to take one step back, and I think it's particularly when I think about this aspect of being set apart from the world and and being obedient to God, um, where there's just there's some areas within Scripture that are are what I call debatable issues, where it's not always exactly clear what God's intention is for us. And I want to draw us to Romans chapter fourteen because we have a story that the Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives. In, the, in this book that relates to what the uh, Roman Christians were experiencing where they lived. And I'm going to read uh, the first six verses or so. I mean, you should go back and read the whole passage. We don't have time to do all of that. And I'll jump, add 10 and verse 13 to it as well. Um, "'As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions.' One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Some of you are out there like, oh, this is great. I knew that vegetarianism and veganism were wrong. Give me more bacon. You know, this is your perspective right now. We're going to get to what this really means, though. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Jumping down to verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God jumping down to verse 13 therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother That's right. so this is this is an amazing passage of scripture and it's one that has made a huge difference in my life so when we think about holiness there's certain things that are in the bible that are really clear that god has made clear in his word, and those are the things that it's very easy to say, hey, this is what God's expectations are in terms of holiness. And then there's some other things that aren't really clear, and we're going to look at four principles that come from this passage. First, let's try to understand what Paul was was doing in this passage. So in that Roman time period, if you went to the market, if you went to Stater Brothers uh, in Rome, there wasn't Stater Brothers in Rome, but if you went to the market and you were going to buy meat, you did not know where that meat was coming from. And Uh, some of the meat that was available in that market had actually been used in worship of idols. So it would have been sacrificed to an idol because the idol wasn't real, nothing really happened to it, so they'd take it and they would sell it in the marketplace. And so uh, what would happen is that for some Christians, there was a great deal of conviction about this issue. I would never wanna eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. So their response to it was, hey, I'm gonna abstain from eating meats altogether because I don't wanna be in a position where I've done something that goes against my convictions. And for other Christians, they were looking at it and say, hey, it's on sale, it's a buck 99 a pound, I'm gonna buy it anyway and bless it and God's gonna be good with it. No, but seriously, they would, they would not have that same kind of conviction and they felt it was okay for them to take that meat, bless it and eat it and it was not a problem or in verse 5 you have this uh, other picture one person esteems one day as better than another we know from our world especially living in this area there are some christians that believe very strongly that saturday is the day that you should be worshiping the lord or some other Christians that believe that on Sunday, the only things you should do are to go to church, worship God, and be in fellowship with other Christians. Uh, you should never watch football games, uh, and so on. So these are some strong positions that are held that are not really clear in Scripture, but there, is, there are people who feel very strongly about those kinds of things. So I want to you, point out four principles that I think are really uh, important as we seek to apply this in areas that are what I'd call debatable issues. One is that we seek God's direction, right? We can see that in that passage. And so often, I think, um, as Christians, we can tend to think we want freedom on this topic because uh, I haven't ever really listened or read or thought about what God has to say about that area. Well, that's not what it's talking about. All of us need to consider what God, how God may be convicting us on a particular issue. So we seek God's personal direction in those kinds of things. And, it, and one or the other is not the right answer. It's the right answer for you because that's what God leads you uh, to have a conviction about. So the second point is that we live up to that conviction and we do it with grace and humility. So that's what God is calling you to do. If he is said to you, hey, I really want you to not be you know, watching the NFL on Sundays because I want you to be focused on me, then that's true for you, but it may not be true for somebody else. But you need to live true to what that area of conviction is. Three, um, don't judge others. Oh, what's our tendency? Our tendency is when somebody else does not share that same conviction that we have, they're wrong, and I'm right, and that's a problem. And that's our tendency as we judge others and we don't recognize the fact that God has either given them freedom in that area or given them conviction in that area and whatever he's done, that's between them and God and our role as believers is to honor it. And then finishes, the fourth point that I would make and this related to what was in verse 13 and it goes on and really talks about it throughout the rest of the passage. It talks about not being a stumbling block to others. So um, somebody, what it means to be a stumbling block is that I, uh, you know, if I have somebody that is, uh, feels very strongly that God wants them to be a vegan or a vegetarian, I don't invite them over for a bacon fest. Okay? It, it's this idea that I don't celebrate my freedom in such a way that puts them in a position where they're either drawn to sin or drawn towards, uh, you know, feeling uh, poorly about something wrong about you and where you're at. And I would really challenge you on this. Uh, that you particularly think about what you do in your social media world because your social media world is being read and viewed by people who think very differently about some debatable topics and what you post there can be a stumbling block to somebody else and I just would really challenge you with these four points. Uh, Seek God's personal direction. Live up to that conviction with grace and humility. Don't judge others and don't be a stumbling block to others. And it will go a long ways towards allowing God to work in your life in terms of areas of holiness. So finally, so we started out, we had this what's God's secret, you know, direction for my life in terms of understanding his will. You know, who am I supposed to marry? Am I supposed to be in this relationship? Should I take this job? Should I move to the city? Should I buy this house? All of these kinds of questions how in the world, what's this connection between holiness and understanding God's will? I think there's two things that I'd want you to gain from this. One is that where God is clear, you need to be clear. So where God has made it clear what the standard of holiness is, then you better be doing what he's called you to do in that situation. So there's going to be certain relationships that you may be in that you know you should not be in because there's no way for there to be holiness in that relationship. Or there may be certain jobs that you're called to do. There aren't necessarily a lot of these, but there may be certain jobs that you're called to do where you know that taking that job is not gonna be a place where holiness is gonna be possible. And uh, so there that when God's word is clear, you need to be clear. And secondly... And this is a little harder to understand, but this, I think, is the real meat of, of this whole sermon series. When our lives become more and more of what God wants us to be, more and more like Christ, we are more and more likely to be doing His will. Our lives get in line with who He is, and the decisions that we make line up with what His will is for our life. That's not easy right? It's much easier to take your Bible and flip and try to find in between the pages the special message to you that says, marry this person, take this job, buy this house, do this thing. And, and it just doesn't work that way. This is a much tougher road to go, but this is what God is calling us to do, is to let his Holy Spirit uh, convict us, work through us, and be, help us become more and more of who he wants us to be. Let's close in prayer. God as I prepared this message even Lord I just was so struck by the fact that I have so far to go to become who you want me to be to become like Christ and Lord it's so convicting of me and I know there's people here in this audience who feel the same way and Lord we are grateful to you that you treat us with grace Uh, we don't deserve what you've done for us Uh, there's nothing there's no need to be ashamed because at the ultimately it's not who we are that makes a difference it's what you've done that makes the real difference in us Lord and we we begin by just desiring that relationship with you. And if there's people here today that haven't done that yet, Lord, I just would ask that today would be the day where they'd recognize the fact that you've made a way for them to have a relationship with you that will give them peace and direction in their life, Lord. I just would ask that today would be the beginning for them. And for those that are followers of you, Lord, I just would ask that we would allow your Holy Spirit's uh, voice within us to direct our actions, to help us become more and more of who you want us to be, Lord. Lord, I just would ask that we'd become more and more like Christ, that our lives would be marked by holiness. Lord, that we'd be set apart from ourselves. that we'd have a life marked by humility. Lord, that we would be um, set apart to, to serve others, Lord, that we would not be so focused on, on our own selves and serving ourselves. And Lord, that we'd be set apart and that we'd be obedient to you and how we live our life. And Lord, that we would be set apart in ways that our lives become a conduit for your power. God, I just would ask that you'd help us to see that this becomes the way, a way, for your will to become clear in our lives as we more and more line up with who you want us to be. And God, as we, um, at this time, as the ushers come forward, Lord, as we take this offering this morning, I just would ask that you would take it and use it for furthering your kingdom uh, through what we our church does in, in this immediate area, in the city of Redlands, and the um, surrounding region, and Lord, as this trip for Spain is upcoming, it's a reminder that we seek to serve you even around the world, Lord. I just would ask that you take these gifts that are given today, help use them for your glory and for your service. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.